0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today Karen welcomes Paris Goodyear-Brown, who will discuss play therapy and attachment issues. This is part two of a two-part series with Paris Goodyear Brown, so be sure to listen to part one if you haven't already. And now your host, Karen Doyle-Buckwalter.
1: You know, I'm thinking about, um, we talked about this a little before we started the podcast about child-centered or non directive play therapy and um, where that fits um, with treatment and. Um, I was trained in non directive play therapy, the model of the gurneys. I did my undergraduate work at Penn State. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and when I um, left Pennsylvania and moved to Chatta, um I was working in a treatment foster care program. Prior to that, I was um, working with people, children with minimal trauma, ADHD, divorce adjustment. Not that can say minimal trauma was very different than the treatment foster care population you know these children did not have the same amount of trauma did not have the disrupted attachments all of that um and I tried to use non-directive play therapy and it was a disaster I mean it, (laughs) it was I mean they were like coming after me with the protection aggression toys, like trying to stab me with the rubber knife and um, running out of the room. And um, the, it, the play was so chaotic and they were stealing things and dumping things. And this is how I eventually found TheraPlay. Uh-huh. So um, when I found TheraPlay, um, which is definitely, you know, more structured, directive, um, I also later found Illyrian things. Um, play therapy, and okay, so this was in the late 90s, so, um, and I had gone to um, the Association for Play Therapy conference, and the only person in the late 90s at this one that I went to, I can't remember where or when, that mentioned foster care at all was Terry Cotman. So, I was like, okay, she's a person, she's in, she's in Iowa, she's close by. So, I'm saying all this to say, from that, I formulated the idea (laughs) that non-directive play therapy is perhaps not the way to go coupled with a lot of parents coming to me and saying I saw a play therapist and my child just does whatever they want in the playroom and the play therapist lets them so they're not seeing anything like what I experience at home where I have to give a directive or or I have to have them come and go to school or go to bed yes. um and and so I think that in in the subgroup of people who do a lot of this work with, with mm-hmm. kids with um, complex trauma um, and attachment challenges, we've come to think that non-directive stuff is just not, that, that's not going to work with these kids.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's, I, I think it's a complicated question and within the trauma play model specifically how we make room for both. Yes. Is, um, understanding the therapist's use of self and sort of the the triangle of therapist roles in trauma play. So we um, a therapist in a trauma play therapist is at all times balancing being a witness, mm-hmm. which is very such a non-directive sort of, I see what you're showing me and you can show me more, giving, giving that sense to a child at alt and really to the parent too, yes. times, um, is one of the roles, uh, one point of the triangle. Um, the other is the nurturer. So oh. the intensive dosing of nurturing dyadic experiences, the therapy type nurturing, because I a lot of my initial training was in therapy too, and it's it's seminal too. In fact, what I tell people when they're coming for trauma play certification, um, or even just to hear the concepts for the first time, is you're gonna all of this is gonna make more sense to you and be good meat if you have the scaffolding already of some child-centered experience and some theraplay experience Mm, mm -hmm. and really it's another part of how trauma play developed was this idea of there's all these wonderful ways of working out there when and how do we use what what parts of what, right, and, right, and more than one at a time, because, you know, I, when people develop an idea, we can sometimes as people get kind of rigid about them, right? Oh, so, absolutely, absolutely, so, which is why um, trauma play is a very flexible model and leaves room for all, so there's a nurturer, those intensive dosing of delight, um, and also the nurturer in my mind is also need meeting over and over and over and over again and mm. then but the third p- point of the triangle in therapy, i mean in uh, trauma play is um, the safe boss is what we call it and yeah yeah that's a little i think that that can often the, the role that we have to move into that feels a lot more grounding and regulating for a lot of my kids with severe attachment disturbances because yes have to know that not just that we are boss they do have to know we're boss it's not really a it's not a peer to peer relationship and can't be if we're going to recapitulate the attachment relationship right it just can't be Mm-mm. so they have to know that we're in charge but that we're safely in charge Mm-mm. and that we're gonna, and what does that mean sharing power understanding what needs need to be met underneath the demand that they're placing helping them shift to using their voice to ask for what they need instead of demanding it Mm-hmm. all those pieces and setting limits whenever necessary and when necessary, very quickly and clearly in mm-hmm. a way that, you know, not, um, it's not escalating, but it is clear boundaries. Um, those three roles I think allow for both non-directive and directive approaches to fit within the model,
0: mm-hmm. depending
2: on what the child needs. Yes. I would say the following the child's, one of the, um, Core values of trauma play is following the child's need, right? So a a strictly child-centered viewpoint would be following the child's lead. um, I love that distinction. That's very good. Yeah, and then um, and setting limits when necessary. Uh, But you know, if you're a a parent, and I am of three, um, we know that sometimes, as often as possible, absolutely let the child lead. If it, it doesn't matter whether you know you want hot dogs or you want cheeseburgers for dinner if it doesn't matter the child can always be in charge but if there's an, an actual limit that has to be set how do we go about doing that and
0: mm-hmm. what other
2: needs do kids have they need they need those doses of delight these kids need them these kids with severe trauma and attachment disturbances they they feel to me like um like a styrofoam cup that's had holes poked in the bottom of it mm-hmm. and just pouring and pouring and pouring, and it just keeps siphoning out, right? It's just very hard to, in fact, I recently made with a little guy, I say he's 13, but he's little on the inside. Right, right. And we had taken a, a sieve and we t- took duct tape and we, we, we made the picture of it together kinesthetically and said, you know, what we're trying to do here is help to fill in those holes. And so he's having a lot of fun choosing which kinds of duct tape. As we learn new skills and help him ask and use his voice and so forth and help mom shift her paradigm with him, then even to things like, um, to, so just an example of how it might look um, this kid and his mom were coming in to Nurture House recently, and we have this beautiful new backyard outdoor nature space, and he said, can we play out here for a while? It was a cold day, and mom said, um, buddy, I, I really want to go inside. I don't have a jacket. I can watch you from inside, and there was this big escalation and a lot of self-loathing, and you, you hate me. You're not really my mom, but all those kinds mm-hmm. of things. hmm so we redid it in the course of the session, tying it back in large part to his isolation and not mm-hmm. having anybody who was with him when he was a little, he, he ended up drawing a baby, a faceless baby in a crib as, as sort of just what was inside of him at that moment when he came in. And then we went outside and we redid it. And he was eventually able to say, um, I, I feel alone when you go inside.
1: Will mm-hmm. you please
2: be with me? And she could give him. She could hear that differently. Give him the yes to that, and they could re redo it together um, mm-hmm. in that way. So I don't know. That was a bit of a bunny trail, but that's uh, that's what came to mind as you were talking.
1: Yeah. Now I really I really like it a, a lot. What you're saying, and I think about um, we often talk about because therapy is so foundational to what I do. That. Um, particularly the structure and nurture dimensions you can't have too much structure and too little nurture but you can't have all nurture and no structure Mm -hmm. you know and and finding that that balance and that's that's one of the hardest things (laughs) for a clinician and a parent and then you have to have and then you have your own history superimposed on that equation (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know um it just seems like we naturally uh, drift one way or another um, and have a hard time finding that balance. You know, yeah. We're, yeah. we're naturally um, you know, low, low structure, high nurture, laid back, whatever. We'll go with the flow or we're drill sergeant. And that's <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. yes. Yes, but,
2: yeah. well, actually um, for Christmas a few years ago, and I use this picture in my presentations now, to talk about exactly what you're saying, um, they got me two nutcrackers for Christmas. One that was blonde-haired, pink-dressed cookie mom. She was actually carrying a cookie, a tray of cookies, and the other was a drill sergeant. Oh. They, were, you know, they were the two faces of mom, right? So, <laughs> uh, we we never in the growing process for ourselves as clinicians, and it's it's actually an important part of trauma play in this and in the certification process. The whole long second weekend the three days, 20 CEs of training is really, a lot of it is self-focused. It's person of the therapist issues. How do we, and I have found Circle of Security to be just powerfully, I'm just so impressed with their work in every way, including their ability to cull down, um, you know, decades of attachment research to very simple concepts for parents um, and for clinicians, and to talk about the, you know, the secure base and the safe haven, but in terms of are we supporting exploration or welcoming back into distress? Uh-huh. And a part of our work always as we're training people is helping clinicians reflect deeply on what am I more comfortable with naturally? Right. And that's nature and nurture, right? It's based on everything we've ever experienced. Uh-huh. Uh, and then there's no judgment in that either way, but we we really do need to understand it so we can know which... Side of the circle, we have to more intentionally cultivate. Yes,
1: I mean, I you know, as we were talking earlier, of course, I had in my mind the bigger, stronger, wiser. You know, when we're talking about that, you know, I always have a circle of. I mean, I'm I'm not formally trained in their protocol or anything, but um, I love that work and the graphics and I think um, their parenting book um, that they have is what I love about it. It is. They so gently visit, in mm-hmm. such a non-shaming way, mm-hmm. your own history. Yes. And the impact of that in a way that I think um, that's it, it, a touchy subject, you know, and that's hard. And it's hard to not have parents feel blamed or shamed um, by some of that information. So, yeah, I'm, like, big, big circle of security fan also. Yeah, <laughs> yes yeah this
2: is over we'll just have to go out for coffee sometimes yes, yes yes so
1: yeah so let's um you know before we wrap up let's talk about um how folks can get trained in this and your process and I want you to talk about your children's books
2: and and all the neat things that that you've been doing oh well well so I think um if I back up just a little bit, I think we, you had asked me also about the the NADA, the Nurture yes. House. Yeah. And we, um, uh, I think it's important to the way we work at Nurture House. Um, yes. And I almost said this earlier when we were talking about systems work and the in, you know, seeing kids individually and parents dropping them off and so forth. I think, I'm not sure that our, um, our major third party reimbursers um are helpful in, yeah, in. you think maybe not. <laughs> in the sense of, supporting, you're very diplomatic. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> um, in the sense of supporting systems work, right? So, so the idea that um, it may take a while to assess. So, at Nurture House, we give a lot of. Um, when we, we may start to give some feedback right away but usually we do an intake that's just for the parents no child present in order to really hear the real deal and do a, appropriate joining and helping the parents feel held mm-hmm. Then we do dyadic assessments these not um, usually with a mom and a child and then a dad and a child mm-hmm. And it, does, it, it, it very much follows the same like theraplay's uh mim assessment is right uh, was the core of my training um in terms of any kind of assessments other than biopsychosocial Really when I was starting out. And so I've always sort of used that lens of what does it look like in the dyad. Yes. Um, well, we've also pulled from um, the DPIC from Parent-Child Interaction Therapy and just looking at the idea of coding to some extent what the interactions look like to how many questions are being asked, how many um, nurturing touches are there within the five-minute interval. Um, so we have some parent-directed time and some child-directed time and some cleanup. And then some tasks on cards that are very much along those structure and nurture dimensions. But we also have, we begin to assess in the lobby, and we have space on that on our forms for, um, are they sitting together? Are they each on their own devices? Are they, um, is, is one of them in one of our smaller spaces in the lobby, maybe meaning they need more containment? Um, how does Fascinating. that all Yeah, how do they move into the space with us? Do they separate easily from parent? All those pieces are part of that assessment. And then we've added in some pieces that are um, questions that begin to pull in a titrated way for how do they handle hard things? Because in terms of all the assessments I've been trained in, you don't do a lot of that in the assessment phase normally. Um, I mean, some of the hard things can come out in the way they're interacting, but mm-hmm. they're not asked directly. So, a couple of our tasks are things like um, adult uh, tells the child about one hard thing and has the child tell them about one hard thing. Uh, adult tells the child about a time that they made a mistake and asks the child to tell them about a time they made a mistake. So, and of course, you can't do that with the very youngest kids, but from five and up, it's been pretty fascinating to watch. The ways parents and children grapple with those prompts in the midst of feeding each other and also who's leading the play and, and so forth. So, um, well, some of it um, reminds me of the
1: attachment based story stem completion. I don't know yeah. if you're familiar with that Yeah yeah actually, yeah. it's sure. going both ways you know um but yeah so
2: I don't I, I don't know that in in depth um
1: mm-hmm. so Miriam Steele has used it in her research and yeah, they say something to you know um Susie spilled her milk on the table and um her little brother and mother are there what happens next and uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. different kinds of things to see um what their experience ends with yeah, being cool. yes. yeah. And the, does the story include going to a caregiver for help with resolution yes. of this, or, you know, I mean, some children will say, you know, the house then blew up. I mean, uh-huh. so a, a lot can come out in these kinds of things, as I'm sure you sometimes find with, with yeah. any kind of completion
2: task like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we do those assessment sessions as a, as a matter of course with most okay. of our families. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, there's two or three individual play-based assessment sessions with um, looking at emotional literacy and their current coping and their their perspective of their family dynamics in, in different play-based interventions. Uh-huh. And then we meet with the parents for a parent feedback session that that we feel like gets to be a little more honed in terms of the feedback we're giving to families because we've taken a little time to understand. Like I cringe now when I think about what I used to say to parents, I mean, just all kinds of cookie cutter wrote, oh, they're sucking their thumb, do this, you know, what I feel like now and really believe is I I can't answer the question of what does this child need until I also understand what the system can hold, even Uh in terms of what story we're going to tell in a divorce situation. Yes, Um, very nicely said. Yeah, that you might think would be cookie cutter. So, so that's the nada. Um... The children's books, the the safe circle for little you is my, like a, a large part of my heart is in that book. And it uh, it is um, a little you who um, was, had been cared for by a big O and uh, they used to do all kinds of things together. And then the, the big O loses its shape. It deflates. It can't, can't stay strong. Um, and the little you keeps trying to make it um, be what it was before. And there's some really great imagery Uh, eric got my colleague um who's now moved to alabama but he did the illustrations for it and um and eventually uh after little u tries and tries to make big o stay big um he the the big o silently rolls off the page and little u is alone and it's a very Sad moment when he is um, on his own. And then the whole community of letters tries to figure out ways to, you know, help him. And nobody feels quite right to him. The C has this big open space on the side, so it doesn't really feel like an O. And anyway, there's a whole story there. And um, eventually there's a, a little Q, a lowercase Q, that says, um, I would very much like to stick together with you. And um, the U says, You're just too small. You're not big enough. And the Q thinks about it and says, Well, I can grow. I can learn to be bigger in that same language of circle of security. And so they decide to stick together. And it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story of hope for a child. Or, I mean, I've had grown moms who cry when they read it, thinking about their own divorce situation. So it's not mm-hmm. just for children, but mm-hmm. having lost a safe, you know, a secure base, having lost your circle and then right. having to learn to trust a new circle. And for adoptive parents, hope that they can grow into being a safe enough, big enough circle for the child in their care. Mm-hmm. Um, so in both those ways, that's really, that's what that book is about. And then the second one, and I don't know if I sent this one to you or not, but... Um, uh,
1: trafficking, related to trafficking.
2: Yes, that one. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a very... You know that's not a book that you would ever keep on your bookshelf, right? Right, if you, if right. Yeah. clinic, you wouldn't keep it there. But when I was, um, I, I was traveling and speaking in Nepal, Kathmandu, to um, uh, several. Um, clinicians and also house parents of kids who were trafficked in India and then brought back to live in Nepal because they're Nepalese by origin. And those are kids who live in group homes. Um, There's probably 150 of them or so. And um, I was doing trauma-informed care training with this uh, woman who runs a training center there. And she said, she told me the story of um, one of her young women in her training center who uh, became pregnant in the brothel in India and then gave birth in the brothel and the child had to be sort of put under the bed for the first year or so until she Mm -hmm. was rescued and brought back to Kathmandu. And this child was raised with aunties and uh, nannies and um, house moms and didn't really think a whole lot about, I mean, according to this mom, uh, a whole lot about daddies until he was about nine and he had just asked her, who's my daddy? Mm. And... So this lovely uh, colleague of mine over there says, "You tell me what to tell her to tell him." <laughs> like, I, like, I'm, like, I'm gonna have any kind of answer here. For, for get, you don't. You don't have a cookie cutter thing. You could tell. <laughs> no, I don't have a cookie. No. So I got a little. Um, but it made me think. I don't. I didn't know of a resource available for children. A bibliotherapy explanation. Yes trafficking or of rape or of any of those harder harder concepts and Uh so Penelope the peacock um, is sold to a feather farm and has her feathers plucked one by one and ultimately though there's um, uh, an egg that appears in her nest um, left by one of the people who took a feather and that becomes this beautiful new hope, um, in her life. And at the very end of the book, he asks, um, this beautiful peacock, um, asks his mom, um, you know, who is my daddy? Where did I come from? And she says, I don't know who your daddy was. Um, but I do know who you are and I know who we are together. And they decided that that would be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that idea that this, this child was born And is precious in his own right, completely separate from how that came about. Mm -hmm. And they can hold the story together. He and his mom, yes, sticking together, can hold that story. Yes. And that's really my hope more than anything for, for our families that we work with, and I'm sure for yours too, that if children know they're delighted in, that they have safe boundaries, and that their parents can hold their stories, hold all their big feelings, they will heal. You know, they will. Um, So we're rolling out our first um, trauma play certification. I've trained and traveled all over and given trainings on the flexibly sequential uh, play therapy model for years, but people um, have been asking for a more clear certification path in it. And so we're rolling out our first cohort of people who will end up being eventually um, probably helping to train in the model um, in February. And uh, my website, which is uh, NurtureHouse.org, um, has information on the trauma place certification on it and also on upcoming trainings and so forth. Um, uh, and that's our, our kind of next big endeavor. Is yes. Round. Yes,
1: and you and uh you have some other um besides the children's books, you have some other writing you've done. Would you like to share about that? um so, yeah so
2: yes. the, back in two thousand ten, well I have several um uh sort of treatment intervention manuals, so digging right there, one and two or my first I think it's like a hundred and four total interventions that can be clinically applied pretty quickly. Um, Out of that came also the Worry Wars curriculum for kids with anxious behaviors and um, because anxiety disorders are just epidemic right now, so after we've done the full trauma play work there may be idiosyncratic quirky leftover phobic symptoms um, Mm. that need addressing and the Worry Wars curriculum is really for that. Um, Uh We have some kids with um, sexual behavior issues in addition to other trauma kinds of uh, things going on, and so we developed a resource called Tackling Touchy Subjects for those families who need to have sexual behavior rules in place and those kinds of things. So that's a more practical resource. Uh-huh. And then, play therapy with traumatized children was the first kind of textbook book of the model. Uh huh finished up um yay it's done um the book called trauma and play therapy that is sort of taking all that deeper and developing the play therapist palette that helps clinicians know what kinds of things humor nature touch um attachment relationship need meeting are may mitigate the approach to trauma content more deeply and then i've just um signed the contract for a new book that's going to be called something like parents as partners in child therapy. And it's oh. going really developing all of the tools. For example, the, you know, the, we all use this kind of, discussion with parents of laying down new neural pathways, right? The, the brain's like tall grass, you walk over it once, it bounces back, you walk over it again and again and again, it makes new neural pathways. So there'll be a handout related to helping parents really map what is it we want to be laying down. Mm-hmm. Um, and those kinds of, a clinician's guide to helping parents make the paradigm shifts we want to see. Mm-hmm. Because I really feel like that's, the, that's where it's at. That's the next kind of big um, as many people who've gone before us have started doing that beautiful work I'm, I'm just delighted to get to help some
1: yes wonderful well thank you so so much um, for for being here today and I have just so enjoyed hearing about all of your work so very much appreciate the time that you were willing to contribute to the attachment theory in action podcast sure, it was delightful to be here
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site at www.thenowledgecenteratchaddock.com or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean for future podcasts. This episode is part two in a two-part series with Paris Goodyear Brown, so be sure to check out part one if you haven't already listened to it. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to the knowledge center at chaddock.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.